Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and the moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, October 17, 2021. This year ID numbers for Friday, October 15th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 17,925. That's 17925. And the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 17,928. That's 17928. This morning, A Vision for You presents the traditions from a big book perspective. Just as the 12 steps lay the spiritual path of recovery for individual members of Overeaters Anonymous, the 12 traditions provide the principles that keep Overeaters Anonymous and other 12-step groups, such as Alcoholics Anonymous, healthy and grounded and focused on their primary purpose. The 12 traditions actually had its early beginnings in 1939 in the foreword of the first edition of the big book, The Basic Text of Alcoholics Anonymous. Due to the quick growth of the group, many questions surrounding publicity, religion, and finances came up. Through years of experience, and trial and error, recovered alcoholics in pioneer AA groups had once again blazed a trail for us to follow. In 1946, co-founder Bill Wilson published the 12 points to assure our future in the AA Grapevine newspaper. And in 1953, he published the book, 12 Steps, and 12 traditions. It is often jokingly said the 12 steps provided us a way to not kill ourselves, and the 12 traditions provide us a way to not kill each other. These traditions are a progression of the principles provided for us in the 12 steps. The traditions are not hindering technicalities. They are proven guides toward the chief objective of all OA groups to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Joining us this morning to speak on the traditions from a big book perspective is Lori C., a recovered compulsive overeater from Winnipeg, Canada. Lori is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous, both a teacher and a student of the big book, and it's with great appreciation that I welcome Lori C. to the line this morning. Welcome, Lori. Thank you very much, Leah. Uh, I very much appreciate the opportunity to have sort of studied for this because this is the first time I've ever really tried to talk about the traditions from the big book point of view. I mean, I talk about them all the time, but trying to organize it and trying to understand them uh, has been a, a wonderful experience. I very much appreciate uh, that opportunity. Uh, I want to start off with the big book. Uh, 
because of course, and, and, and the 12 steps, because everything flows as, as Leia said so eloquently. I mean, I'll tell you, I hope someday Leia takes every single paragraph she reads in the introduction to the special editions and puts them in a book because they're, they're marvelous. But at any rate, um, we start off uh, with our own recovery. And step 12 says that having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to the compulsive eater who still suffers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And we'll, we'll come back to the principles, but what is its message? What is the message? Um, the message is that we have had a spiritual awakening as the result of working the 12 steps. Well, what is a spiritual awakening? That is defined in step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That is the spiritual awakening that ultimately we search for in OA. It's not a, a it, we have, many of us get this major spiritual experience, this unity, this sense of wholeness. But what we come to Overeaters Anonymous for is sanity in relation to what step one describes our addiction. Um, we admitted to our, uh, we uh, admitted that we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's insanity. And the spiritual awakening that's discussed by step two, that's a reference in step two, is in fact the sanity in relation to our addiction. And that sanity comes again, and the big book uh, is so uh, brilliant uh, on it. It comes from Dr. Silkworth and the doctor's opinion. This notion that we cannot stop once we've started, that is what the doctor refers to as the allergy of the body, the abnormality that causes us to go forward and continue to indulge in our addictive uh, behavior, even though there's a part of us that keeps saying, no, I want to stop, I want to stop, and we keep on doing it. Somehow our will is of no value there. We can't stop it. We, we are just going on and on and on. Um, but that isn't our real problem, because if we correctly identify what it is that causes us this craving that causes us to go on and on and on, then clearly if we didn't start, we wouldn't be faced with the problem of not being able to stop. Our real problem comes, and the big book, of course, is eloquent on this issue, in our minds. Our minds find reasons to go back. And those reasons can be deeply traumatic and, and, and difficult emotional reasons, or they can be absurd reasons. Um, they, they can be reasons as deep as, uh, you know, I've lived a life of sadness, uh, I'm lonely, I'm, I'm despairing. And they can be as absurd as, well, it's organic, so I, I can eat it, or they made it for me especially, or I've been good for, you know, uh, a week, uh, a day, an hour, two minutes ago, I, I didn't uh, eat the bun so I can, I can have the cake. And these reasons all seem good at the time. It is this insanity of the mind that the 12 steps deal with. 
And that's why step two, uh, he says, a power greater ourselves can restore us to sanity. Sanity so that we can have the miracle, as I have had, I've been blessed for over 28 years, the miracle of being able to look at the things that used to tempt us, the, the, the things that, that our minds would always give us permission to return to and not want them. This is poison for me. It's not poison for someone else, but for me, it is poison. And therefore, why would I eat poison? So we, we start off in step 12 with the discussion, with the statement that we have to carry the message of recovery using the 12 steps from our addiction, our, our, our compulsive eating addiction. We have to carry that message to those who still suffer. So we have recovery and we have the need to pass the message on. And, and the whole discussion of step 12 in the big book is all about the need to carry our message. Uh, you, can, you can go through the book and there are so many instances where the book is saying, I have to give it away. Starting, you know, uh, starting from Dr. Silkworth saying their method of helping others is no doubt going to help them expand their membership to Bill saying, I realize that I have to carry it on. And, and, and Ebby saying to Bill uh, in the town's hospital, you've got to give it away uh, to the whole chapter working with others um, uh, through to the rest of the big book, the full text, uh, plus all the history and the, in the stories in the back of the big book, the uh, stories in the AA 12 and 12, the stories in AA comes of age, um, the history of uh, Bill and Dr. Bob and uh, pass it on and Dr. Bob and, and, and uh, the uh, good old timers. Um, and in the personal stories in both uh, OA and AA, Roseanne's history of AA, of OA, the uh, Beyond Our Wildest Dreams, they all reflect the need to give away what we have received. And, and the reason we have to do it, well, there are many reasons that why we have to do it. One is the simple psychologically true reason that if we don't give it away, we won't keep it. We cannot keep what we do not give away. We must give away everything we have learned and we must try to help others, whether or not we succeed or they succeed. Uh, we might be the worst carriers of the message, but if we try our best to carry our message, we keep our recovery. And you know, this psychologically true that uh, you know, I was just I was just being asked uh, in, of, a, of a sponsor a, a day or so ago. Did you have this problem or that problem when you were trying to uh, to work the steps and the withdrawal symptoms, things of that sort? And I realized my memory of what I was like over 28 years ago would never be as strong as it is now if I hadn't been describing it over the last 28 years. Um, I, you know, it, it's so easy to be complacent if we do nothing to remember uh, what we were like. So in my step 12 work and my sort of telling my story I reinforce my memories of how awful it was when I was addicted, when I was going through my addiction, when I was uh, feeling these horrible and stupid and absurd and inexorable reasons for going back to that which I knew once I started, I couldn't stop. And this, this 
the passion that I can bring because I remember how awful it was is part of the weight of the message I carry and the weight of the message each one of us carries. Um, so uh, psychologically, it's important to carry it. And the other, and we'll, we'll see this, I think, when we come back to Tradition 12, which at the end, the, the other is ultimately that we discover the inner truth that to be the best we can be, we have to think of others and not ourselves. And that that's true for whatever spiritual values we hold, whatever kind of God or non-God we believe in, our deepest values, it's for me, it's a deeper values. It's not, it's not a specific kind of God, but whatever it is, ultimately the best of what we can be as human beings are people who think of others rather than ourselves. And it's from that perspective that I want to talk about the traditions. I'm a little nervous because as I said, I've never really done this before. I've really enjoyed the, the thinking that I had to go through to sort of work, work on this. First of all, traditions are precisely that. They are traditions, they're guidelines, they are not rules. And we have to be careful of becoming members as I was for many years of this uh, secret underground organization within Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm sure in every other 12-step fellowship, called the Traditions Police. You know, you can't do that. That's against Tradition 3.5.7. They are open to interpretation. And one's one's own interpretation of a specific tradition uh, may not be someone else's. And there's no reality to it. We read them. We understand them. They are not rules. You can't be fined or kicked out of OA or um, be told to stop doing something if you are found guilty of breaching a tradition. I don't use the word guilt. I'd never use the word guilty. But I'm, I, hey, I'm Jewish. I use the word guilty a lot. But I, I, I'm saying in, in, in terms of the traditions, um, uh, you don't find, uh, I never use the word uh, you have breached this tradition. The best I can do is it seems to me that tradition X is important to look at in this respect, because as far as I can see, the experience of OA and AA is that. And then I would talk about what the tradition says. But I don't profess to be a, a, a judge about what the tradition means. And, you know, there's there's a wonderful um, example of that in the AA Comes of Age, that brilliant book that uh, Bill wrote, The History of, of AA, which is divided into three major parts. And um, one is the development of the steps, the other is development of the uh, traditions, and the third is the development of the concepts. But it's it, because they, they were chronologically in that order. And uh, the, the, uh, the history of AA is inexorably bound into the history of the steps, the traditions, and the 12 concepts. Uh, it's a brilliant book. Um, but Bill writes about uh, uh, someone, uh, as AA expands, it expands into Japan, and someone from Japan writes to the uh, General Service Office of AA and says, we have a crisis in Japan. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. We have a crisis in Japan. Um, uh, there, there are two AA groups. One of them follows the 12 uh, steps, 
The other has, uh, I don't know, 10 steps and charges um, uh, 7 yen for every meeting. What do we do? And after much thought, uh, uh, the General Service Office writes back and says, well, uh, we will do what we do. And if the other group has a good idea, it will expand. And if it doesn't, it will die. And that's it. We don't call down other things. We raise our bar. We, we are, we are uh, positive about what we do and how we conduct ourselves. And we try our best not to be critical. Um, and why is that? It's because we have found recovery. And our recovery depends upon not being in charge of the world. The big book makes this very clear all through it, but, but specifically in, in, the, uh, chat, in the pages preceding uh, the taking of step three, the, the prayer of step three, in all those pages, that our problem is basically that we are actors in a play or a musical, and we want to be the director, the playwright, the composer, the conductor, um, the stage manager. We want to be everything. That's our problem. And uh, that comes out, uh, you know, being convinced uh, uh, that self manifested in various ways was our problem. We resolutely uh, looked for our common defects of character, I'm paraphrasing there, in the introduction to step four in the big book. Now, I want to talk about the steps, not in the, uh, the traditions, not in the order that they were written, but in the order that it seems to me makes sense from an understanding point of view. And for that, and I will take into account, uh, as Leah said, uh, Bill uh, wrote, in uh, 1946, he wrote uh, what is now known as the long form of the 12 traditions. They're found in the fourth edition of the big book, beginning on page 563. The, these are the first formations, formulations of the, of the traditions. And I think it's important for us to read them and understand them. So I will refer to them as well as referring to specific traditions. I want to start with tradition five. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. And again, what is its message? The only time message is discussed in the steps is the message that we have achieved a spiritual awakening as the result of working the 12 steps. And spiritual awakening is defined as step two, and step two explains what sanity means in relation to step one. So tradition five discusses the group's purpose. And a number of steps discuss the relationships within our groups, but they start with tradition five. It all starts with tradition five. It is the test for interpreting all the rest of the traditions in my respectful submission. How best do we carry the message to those who still suffer? That is the soul in my respectful submission. That is the sole question that should be asked when trying to understand, debating, discussing whether a tradition is in danger or not. Any of the other traditions are in danger. So the um, 
it's interesting that the uh, the that hasn't that has hardly changed from the original long form. Tradition five in the original long form, each Alcoholics uh, Anonymous groups group ought to be a spiritual entity having but one primary purpose, that of carrying his message to the alcoholic who still suffers. So you can see that the, the way it's written in the long form is a little bit more emphatic, but but one primary purpose means that's it. The primary purpose is its only purpose. And um, the addition, though, in the long form is a spiritual entity having that primary purpose. And that was, you know, when, when the uh, traditions were all shortened, the word spiritual entity was out. But that is the, the essence of what these traditions are all about, as we will see. It is that we are, as a group, a spiritual entity designed to help people who still suffer find a spiritual solution to their addiction. Uh, because in our experience, a spiritual solution is what we need. Um, and the steps give us that spiritual solution. So that Tradition 5 starts us off, in, in my respectful submission, starts us off in understanding where we are within our group. Our group has that purpose. Now, that means that our group does not have the purpose of being a place where we just congregate and enjoy each other's fellowship. That means that our group's reason for existence is to help those who still suffer, not to be a comfort place for those who do not suffer. When I have gone to meetings in OA, and I guess I've been part of this myself at times, and I see a bunch of sponsors who identify themselves as sponsors but aren't available to sponsor because they're so busy um, sponsoring others. And when I realize that some of those sponsors are sponsoring other sponsors and spending time with people who themselves have also recovered, and when I see newcomers come to the meeting and looking at all these sponsors who are not available to sponsor, where is Tradition 5 in that? Where is the purpose of the group? If newcomers are not, and those who are still suffering, are not treated as the most important people in the room, because they are, because they are the people we're trying to carry our message to, uh, then has the group lost its sense of purpose? and become instead a group of people who just talk to each other. Uh, it's also important to note that Tradition 5 says, although we support each other, we aren't a support group. There are other groups in this world who are support groups for people who have an eating problem. And maybe some people, not me, but many people, I'm sure, that's all they need to deal with their eating problem. They have some emotional issues. They have some issues relating to quantities. Uh, they could use a good diet. They could use someone who, uh, who bucks them up during the week. Uh, you know, they could use the notion that if they do a, a weekly weigh-in or if they um, phone someone every day, they'll be better. You know, and, and some people can prosper doing that. They, they don't need a 12-step fellowship because they don't have the combination of the food problem and the mind problem. 
They don't have the combination of not being able to stop once they've started and the problem of not being able to stop from starting. You only need a spiritual solution to your problem if you have a problem with your mind always giving you permission to go back to the food. If your only problem is that you need to marshal your willpower better in order to uh, not eat that much uh, or, 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 or eat more than, you, than you, uh, you're, you're, you're allowing yourself to eat, if you're an under-eater, um, then you, you don't need OA. So Tradition 5 has sort of two sides to it, and we'll get to that when we talk about Tradition 3. Um, and that is our primary purpose is to help those who still uh, suffer, which means that every person who comes who is still suffering, both the long-term member who's still suffering and the, uh, and, the, and the newcomer who comes, they're the ones we have to glom onto. They're the ones we have to spend time with. And, you know, although I, uh, I, you know, I like to see people I've sponsored and I like to see them in meetings, I like to talk about them and see how they're doing and talk with them and see how they're doing. If there's a newcomer in the room, we know that it's the newcomer we have to talk to. If there's a person who's still suffering, who has expressed themselves in a meeting in, in terms of difficulties, those are the people we have to talk to because that's both our individual responsibility in step 12 and the responsibility of the group in tradition five. I'll come back to that, I think, but uh, that's, that's it. So the first thing is that the steps deal with is our relationships within the group. And here I propose to deal with them tradition one, tradition two, tradition three, tradition four, and then seven, eight, and nine. Because we have the relationships within our group, and then we have relationships with the public. And that's tradition six and 10 and 11. And then we have tradition 12, which brings us a full circle. So I'll come back to that at the end. Um, tradition one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. And the long form of tradition one is each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is but a small part of a great whole. AA must continue to live or most of us will surely die. Hence, our common welfare comes first, but individual welfare follows close afterwards. Afterward. You know, every time I want to take control, and this, this still happens even in all my worldly saintliness, every time I wanted to take uh, control, I am reminded that I am part of a very large spiritual whole. W-H-O-L-E, not H-O-L-E. And that spiritual entity, that spiritual whole, is the essence of what keeps me alive. Imagine if I were a compulsive eater who had, um, who had recovered using the 12 steps, and I had no group, and I had no Overeaters Anonymous, and I was alone in this world. I had found a spiritual solution and I was alone. The work I would have to do to find those who still suffer, well, I would do it. And the big book, 
has uh, you know three or four or five pages on how to find such a person in the ch- uh, two or three pages on the in the chapter working with others. I, I would have to work hard to find people to carry the message too. In Overeaters Anonymous, they come to us, and sometimes we take that for granted in a way that we should not. They're precious, but because we are part of a whole of a spiritual entity, we must remember that the unity of OA allows us to carry the message on an individual basis to those who still suffer. And that if we create factions and problems within OA, then we are reducing our own serenity, reducing the serenity and spirituality of those we come in conflict with, and OA as a whole, and those who still suffer uh, in general, will lose the spirituality that we so desperately need to keep. And this happens. It is so easy for us to be critical of people who do not do things our way. We believe that we have found an answer and that if we have found the answer, it needs to be the answer for everyone else. That's common human act, uh, human thinking. But our welfare comes first and the common welfare comes first and that means we have to submerge our sense of, well, if everyone did it my way, the world would be a better way, which is our problem in general. We have to conquer the urge to apply that to OA. And we can promote, in a sense, our way of doing things as much as we want, but we should never be critical of others. They have their paths, we have ours. And the unity of OA is important in that respect. And I don't know how many of the people listening here have ever had an opportunity to go to some of the business conferences that OA has, the World Service Business Conference, the the region assemblies, or even just be involved in intergroups. But sometimes we miss that. We, We miss this spirituality of it in favor of debate and anger and fear and frustration. Um, and and we, we, we find ourselves in battle with each other. Even the prevalent use of Robert's Rules of Procedure that pits one side against another and requires some kind of compromise by amendments to amendments to amendments and, and uh, debate and pros and cons misses the spirituality of where we are. And we'll talk about that when we get to Tradition 3. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, tradition two. Oh, I'm sorry. Tradition two. Our group conscience. Uh, tradition two. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as He may express Himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants; they do not govern. And it's very interesting that um, in the long form of tradition two, it's actually shorter. The tradition two in the in the, in what are called the long form of tradition that Bill first published in 1946 is for our group purpose there is but one ultimate authority a loving God as He may express Himself in our group conscience. Later on, they uh, he added our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. And uh, in 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 the AA 12 and 12 Bill has this great distinction between the bleeding deacon and the elder statesman. The bleeding deacon is the person who still wants to control uh, AA and his uh, condition 
situations because of their length of service. They know what's right and they want to control what's going on. And the elder statesman who chimes in occasionally with a sense of what has gone on and what mistakes have been made, but doesn't try and, uh, and be in charge. So this concept of group conscience, though, I think is often missed. Um, and, and uh, you know, Oli has a really good guide on how to develop group conscience. It's available as a, a free PDF document on OA.org. Uh, and it's a it's a way in which groups can develop group conscience without a sense of battles. Uh, I think this is very important. I, I used to belong to a group that was just about half big book and half OA 12 and 12. And we would have business meetings whenever anyone wanted to have one. And when, uh, let's say, the big book people, well, we were studying the big book in our group, and the OA 12 and 12 people wanted to stop that, they would wait, I think, until they had a majority, call a group meeting, call a, a, a business meeting, and vote out the big book and uh, vote in the OA 12 and 12. And the big book people would do exactly the same thing. And we were split. Uh, and it, it just depended on who attended the particular meeting as to whether it would be five to four or four to, or, or, or eight to, to, to seven or uh, you know, eight, eight, eight to seven the other way. And we finally had a business meeting where we realized that this was terrible. We were, we were changing the format back and forth. Uh, newcomers would not understand what was going on. There was a lot of built, built in, uh, but hidden uh, tension in, in the group. And to develop a group conscience, we appointed a committee of four two big book people and two OA 12 and 12 people and said, come back when you've reached a unanimous conclusion. And they did. And we, we ended up with a format that had some dynamic aspects to it uh, that uh, incorporated both the 12 and 12 and the big book, but, but uh, wasn't, uh, uh, wasn't fractious at all. And that sense of group conscience that we used was we, is reflected actually in Bill's writing in, in his wonderful um, uh, book, which is available for free on, on, on AA.org and with Zoe literature, uh, that, um, the 12 Concepts of World Service. Um, it's called the, the General Service Manual and, and 12 Concepts of World Service, um, where he talks about sometimes the voice of God may be, or sometimes the one person objecting in the room may be the voice of God. And I believe that, even though I don't believe in, in a kind of a God speaking, you know, like the, the kind, that kind of a God. I believe that in a spiritual entity, which is what our groups are or ought to be, or ought to strive to be, that we will find the right action, the right thinking, the right action to listening to those we disagree with rather than those we agree with. And that we have to, as the 12, as, well, as the, one of the, the last of the 12 concepts uh, says in part, we have to strive for substantial unanimity, not just majority or not even 75% or, or two thirds majority. We have to strive to make sure that those who feel deeply about something 
have not only have their voices heard, but are heard even more than those who constitute the majority. We have to listen carefully because our humility comes, our, our spiritual salvation comes from humility. Not, not hu- humiliation, but humility. We are no better, but we're no worse than anyone else. And because we're no better and no worse, Anyone else is no better and no worse, and we have to listen to them. And our point of view may be wrong, um, as, as has been proven to me many, many times in my life in, in a way. So this sense of group conscience is really important. And to encourage people to talk, to encourage people who really disagree with what's going on, uh, is, is a daunting task because we often just want to go on and get things going. But we have to be sure that as a spiritual entity, we listen carefully to where the word of God is coming from, as it were. Tradition three. Tradition three is the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. The long form is Our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. Hence, we may refuse none who wish to recover. Nor ought AA membership ever depend upon money or conformity. Any two or three alcoholics gathered together for sobriety, they call themselves an AA group, provided that as a group, they have no other affiliation. We are open to everyone who wants what we have. And our responsibility as a group is to explain what we have in a way that people know whether they want to be one of us. And we miss that too. You know, if we really, if our, the real purpose of every group is to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps to those who still suffer, if that's the real purpose of our group, then we have to take on the responsibility of explaining to every person who comes into our group and every person who remains in our group what we are and what we are not. We are a group that uses the 12 steps to deal with our specific addiction. And in a way, it's a varied addiction. It's an, it's an eating addiction. It's a compulsive eating addiction. But the manifestations of it, the way it comes out, depends so much upon the individual. Some of us are undereaters, some of us are overeaters, some of us overeat and vomit, and some of us overeat and, and, and become uh, huge. Uh, some of us overeat on lettuce, and some of us overeat on popcorn, and some of us overeat on cake. Um, we're not, we, we, it, we are an umbrella fellowship. What we have in common is that in relation to food, we can't stop once we start it, and we can't stop from starting. What we don't have in common is how that pans out in us as individuals. Unlike Gamblers Anonymous, which is a behavior fellowship, and unlike Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a single substance fellowship, our fellowship runs the spectrum of behaviors, specific foods, specific ingredients, and mixtures of ingredients. And it's our responsibility to make sure that we do not impose upon others the, um, our own uh, addictions, because others may have different ones, 
and also make clear that what keeps us together is the spiritual solution we have found and not the specific uh, uh, subcategory of addiction that we have. We have an eating addiction, but there are subcategories and, you know, we are not fataholics anonymous, nor are we sugaraholics anonymous. We are uh, overeaters anonymous and, and we include undereaters as well. So we have that responsibility and we don't often uh, fulfill that responsibility. If, if everyone can be a member who wants what we have, we have to be in every group. We have to make sure that the group expresses what it has. And, and, and that's, that's uh, so important. That's tradition three. Tradition four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. <coughs> Excuse me. The long form is with respect to its own affairs, each AA group should be responsible to no other authority than its own conscience. But when its plans concern the welfare of neighboring groups also, those groups ought to be consulted and no group, regional committee, or individual should ever take any action that might greatly affect AA as a whole without conferring with the trustees of the General Service Board's Board. On such issues, our common welfare is paramount. So again, Tradition 5 leads us to Tradition 4. We are autonomous. We are a spiritual entity. We reach decisions by listening to the voice of our higher power and not to persuasiveness. We, we, we reach it by listening to our inner voices and thus listening to the outer voices and trying to work things out all from the perspective of, of Tradition 5. How do we carry the message best to those who still suffer? What message? The message of recovery through the 12 steps. So Tradition 4, within our own groups, given that we are spiritual entities, if we are spiritual entities, uh, if we act spiritually, then we take the we take action based on our group conscience, and no one's in charge of that except the group that takes responsibility. Um, and and we we often miss that too. We 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 worry about what other people are doing without worrying about what we're doing. Um, and other groups make their own decisions, and we have some trust that when people work together from a spiritual basis, they will reach decisions that work for them, not for me. I mean, you know, some of my best mentors, my most significant mentors, my idols, if you were, in OA, do not use the big book the way I use the big book. Some of them don't use the big book at all, and some of them use the big book, but I disagree with their interpretation of the big, of the big book. And yet, they have a spirituality that I envy. I don't envy, I don't envy at all. I, I have none of those feelings of envy. But I, I admire. I respect. And, and so who am I to say that they're wrong for themselves? And who are they to say that I'm wrong for myself? We're right for ourselves. We each come into this fellowship in different ways. But having said that, since we're not in charge of the world, no one is in charge of us. And that's an important aspect of tradition four. Um, and we sometimes miss that. And, uh, you know, sometimes the actions of the World Service uh, Business Conference of OA sometimes seem to impede uh, the ability of groups uh, to be autonomous. And we, we always have to worry about whether or not 
we're we're acting and functioning as spiritual entities and have to be cautious as to whether we are uh, a spiritual entity or whether we're controlling people because it's so easy when we're by ourselves and we've got an issue to argue and to go back out of our spirituality back into our uh, controlling phase, our wish to be in charge. Tradition seven. You notice I'm missing out five and, and, uh, and well, I talked about five and I'm missing out uh, six. Uh, I'll come back to that. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. And tradition seven in, uh, in the long form used to read, the AA groups themselves ought to be fully supported by the voluntary contributions of their own members. We think that each group should soon achieve this ideal, that any public solicitation of funds using the name of Alcoholics Anonymous is highly dangerous, whether by groups, clubs, hospitals, or other outside agencies, that acceptance of large gifts from any source or of contributions carrying any obligation, whatever, is unwise. Then, too, we view with much concern those AA treasures which continue beyond prudent reserves to accumulate funds for no stated AA purpose. Experience has often warned us that nothing can so surely destroy our spiritual heritage as futile disputes over property, money, and authority. Tradition seven is we have to take responsibility for our own groups. We have to take responsibility for the survival of our own groups, and that includes taking responsibility for the survival of OA as a whole. We support the World Service Office. I mean, they find a meeting uh, uh, section of the website of OA.org is is so important in these days of uh, virtual meetings. Um, And uh, it's not a cheap thing to do because it requires a lot of expertise to create a website that has so many resources as OA.org has. Um, and the same for the website of a vision for Utah.info. Uh, there are resources there. And we have to, we often have to pay for that. We do have to pay, I'm sure, for that. And we have to be self-supporting in that respect. One of the things, one of the concerns I have in OA is that OA as a whole relies on sales literature which can be sold to people who are not OA members um, rather than on contributions. And uh, the, the, the majority, not the vast majority, but the majority of uh, support that the World Service Office gets is from the sale of literature. And that, that tends to keep the cost of our literature high in order to keep the World Service Office going. Uh, and I think helps defeat the purpose of Tradition 5. If our literature costs so much, it's hard for people to get it and to read it and to use it. Um, and uh, we have to balance um, that. But, but if we lower the cost of literature, it means we've got to increase our contributions. Um, tradition eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Uh, and the long form, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional. We define professionalism as the occupation of counseling alcoholics for fees or higher. That we may employ alcoholics where they are going to perform those services for which we might otherwise have to engage non-alcoholics. Such special services may be well recompensed, but our usual AA 12-step work is never to be paid for. This is such an important uh, issue, such an important thing. We cannot charge for the services we provide at the same time, we are not professionals. Uh, 
We are not professionals and therefore we can't charge. We are not professionals and therefore we should not act professionally. We are not therapists, we are not counselors, we're not even advice givers or lawyers or uh, coaches, life coaches. We are here for one purpose and one purpose only, to carry our message of recovery through the 12 steps to those who still suffer. And we can't charge for that because that's what we have to do as step 12 work. But not only that, that's all we should be doing when we do our step 12 work and when our meetings uh, uh, function on a spiritual basis. Um, We have to remember that we are no better, no worse than anyone else. I am one bite away from going back to what I was over 28 years ago. And that one bite could happen anytime, anywhere, if I don't keep in fit spiritual condition. And, uh, and, and I have to work hard to do that. But part of the, and, and part of the work I have to do is to remind myself how close I am, one day at a time, to going back to what I used to be. I can't be in a position of authority, I can't be in a position of, um, of being higher, of offering myself as some expert on anything. I am one member of OA. And if I don't forget that, I will be an ex-member of OA or I'll be, I'll be a, a, a suffering member of OA and not a recovered member. And Tradition 9 is one that uh, I, I happen to love. I won't go into any great detail because I will be running out of time. OA as such, I'll never be organized that we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. In the original long form, it's pretty long. Uh, Each AA group needs the least possible organization. Rotating leadership is the best. The small group may elect its secretary, the large group its rotating committee, and the groups of a large metropolitan area, their central or intergroup committee, which often employs a full-time secretary. You can see why they have to be boiled down. The trustees of the General Service Board are, in effect, our AA General Service Committee. They're the custodians of our AA traditions and the receivers of voluntary AA contributions by which we maintain our AA General Service Office in New York. They are authorized by the groups to handle our overall public relations that guarantee the integrity of our principal newspaper, the AA Grapevine. All such representatives, still in the long form, are to be guided in the spirit of service for true leaders in AA are but trusted and experienced servants of the whole. They derive no real authority from their titles. They do not govern. Universal respect is the key to their usefulness. Tradition nine, we are not organized. And we we forget that. You know, sometimes our uh, intergroups will function on, we have committees and they have to report and people don't come to them and we need more people. And sometimes we forget the simple thing. To say to someone, your job as a person who has recovered using the 12 steps is to carry the message, your message to those who still suffer. Here's a way of doing it. Why don't you do it? Um, And the organization comes from within rather than imposed from outside. Sometimes we create structures without thinking about whether those structures do a good job of carrying the message to those who still suffer. And... uh, Again, Tradition 5 is the bulwark of an understanding of Tradition 9. If we are spiritual, then we will not have to be organized. The organization will come from our spirituality, um, not contrary to our spirituality. 
I'm mindful of the time, so I'll go on. Those are the traditions, tradition one, two, three, four, seven, eight, and nine, that deal with our relationships within our groups. And then we have three traditions that deal with our relationships with the public. Tradition six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. And that is, in the long form, a very long one, problems of money, property, and authority may easily divert us from our primary spiritual aim. We think, therefore, that any considerable property of genuine use to AA should be separately incorporated and managed, uh, uh, thus dividing uh, the material from the spiritual. Uh, and it goes on. An AA group as such I've never, should never go into business. Secondary aids to AA, such as clubs or hospitals, which require much property or administration, ought to be incorporated and so set apart that, if necessary, they can be freely discarded by the groups. Hence, such facilities ought not to use the AA name. Their management should be the sole responsibility of those people who financially support them. For clubs, AA managers are usually preferred, but hospitals, as well as other places of recuperation, are to be well outside AA and medically supervised. While an AA group may cooperate with anyone, such cooperation ought never go so far as affiliation or endorsement, actual or implied. An AA group can bind itself to no one. Well, that was all condensed into less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. But we cannot lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. And remember, an outside enterprise is clearly in the context of the long forms, a business or a facility, a, a place where people go. Um, and, and it's important to remember that because people will often use outside enterprise as relating to people who um, uh, are just doing their best to carry the message. It's not outside enterprise if people are trying to carry the message of those to, to those who still suffer. Uh, it's an outside enterprise if they're trying to make money off it uh, or if uh, they're using their OA membership uh, to, to, um, to make money uh, or to run facilities. Uh, tradition 10. Overeas Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. In the long form, no OAA group or member should ever in such a way as to implicate AA express any position on outside controversial issues, particularly those of politics, alcohol reform, or sectarian religion. The Alcoholics Anonymous groups oppose no one concerning such matters they can express no views, whatever. And again, the word outside is discussed. And we have no opinion on outside issues. That doesn't mean we don't have opinions as individuals and maybe even as groups on inside issues. Uh, and, and the big book is clear in the long form, outside controversial issues, things that might split us. We don't oppose anybody. As spiritual entities, we absorb um, within ourselves the sense that other people may be different from us. And they may have their own journey, and we don't have we don't oppose them, but we put forward what we uh, uh, what we our spiritual values. Tradition eleven, very misunderstood in in two ways. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media communication. 
And uh, in long form, our relations with the general public should be characterized by personal anonymity. We think AA ought to avoid sensational advertising. Our names and pictures of AA members are not to be broadcast, filmed, or publicly printed. Our public relations should be guided by the principle of attraction rather than promotion. Uh, there is never need to praise ourselves. We feel it better let our friends recommend us. Two misunderstandings. One is attraction rather than promotion is our public relations policy, not our individual policies. As individuals, we have to promote. Most of the people I know don't know what I looked like 28 and a half or 30 years ago or even worse, 40 years ago. They, don't, they can't see in me the change in my body um, because I've been about the same for about 28 years. I can promote OA. I can talk about what OA has done for me and what the 12 steps have done for me. Um, uh, so attraction rather than promotion is applied only at the public relations level, above the individual level. And as well, it says we have to maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, other public media of communication. I heard a wonderful speaker say once, that means that at any other level, below the level of press, radio, films, television, other public media of communication, we should be using our names. Because, you know, if you come to Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, where I live, you'll never find Lori. Not that there are that many Lori's, but there are enough Lori's that if you say, do you know someone named Lori, you won't find me. You have to know my last name. Um, and uh, and so that's uh, that's another indication. All right, we're coming full circle now, and I'm coming to the end of my of my talk. Tradition 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, every remind, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And uh, the long form is, and finally, we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the principle of anonymity has an immense spiritual significance. It reminds us that we are to place principles before personalities, that we are actually to practice a genuine humility this to the end, that our great blessings may never spoil us, that we shall forever live in thankful contemplation of him who presides over us all. You know, for those of us who aren't uh, religious in any way, some of those words are a little strange, but the concept is still there. I am in thankful contemplation of my deepest values. I am thankful that I have been given the opportunity through the 12 steps to recover day to day, not cured, but but recovered from my addiction using the 12 steps. But the only way I can use the 12 steps is to have a genuine humility that I'm no better, but no worse than anyone else, including the person who comes in, who weighs 40 pounds, or I don't know if you can weigh 40, but weighs 60 pounds or weighs 600 pounds, um, that I am no better and no worse than they are. And that all I can do is provide my experience, strength, and hope to those who still suffer. I am not a star. I am also not a, a, a piece of dirt. Uh, I am just one person among many, all trying to do the same thing within Overeaters Anonymous that we are here for. And that is to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps to those who still suffer. Thank you. 
Thank you, Lori, for this brilliant talk this morning on the tradition. So very uh, informative and fascinating. Thank you. I don't know how you worked out that timing to be so perfect, but thank you for that as well. Lori's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. The share ID number for today's presentation, 17,933. That's 17933. And we will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Lori, questions only, please, by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Harlan G. Hey, Harlan. Nadia B. Nadia. Barbara E. Gotcha, Barbara. Anyone else? Star one to Nancy M. Nancy. All right, Joy let's get. S. Pardon me? Joy S. Thank you, Joy. Okay, this is a great group to begin. Harlan G., go right ahead. Harlan, star one to unmute, please. Okay, it says I'm unmuted now. I hope I am. <laughs> okay. Indeed. Hey, Harlan. Uh, th- Hi, Hi Lori. So wonderful to hear you this morning. It's just a treat to hear you. And, Leah, thank you for your service. You know, I hear uh, some, some things in OA since 1979, and I was just wondering if you could clear them up for me. And remember, I knew Bill Bluestein, but one of the things I hear all the time is you're not supposed to tell people who's speaking at the convention or the retreat. It's a violation of traditions. And I also hear all the time, if you mention specific foods, that's a violation of traditions. And the third thing, and it'll be the last thing I say is, you're not supposed to tell people you're in OA. It's a program of attraction, not promotion. So I was wondering, Lori, if you could clear that up for us this morning. Thank you so much. Well, it's not as if Harlan and I haven't discussed that, uh, any of those issues. Well, first of all, the... the uh, <laughs> Uh, the the issue of not uh, giving the name uh, of the speaker who will be speaking or the speakers who will be speaking um, is is not a tradition issue other than it is the group conscience of OA as a whole as expressed through the World Service Business Conference that people not uh, that groups who sponsor workshops excuse me not mention the name of those who are uh, speaking. And, and Bill mentioned the name of a particular person. Um, I only know second or third hand that particular issue. But uh, what, what I know is that, and it's explained in the OA 12 and 12, is that the, the origins of, of that World Service Business Conference um, resolution, which is still in effect, it could always be changed, but it's in effect until it's changed, um, come from the way in which some uh, um, uh, uh, speakers uh, within OA 
became famous and were actually selling their book. And, and the, the, the OA 12 and 12 uh, talks about not only that, but actually abusing the trust of other people in other, in other respects. Um, so that, that is why it is to prevent people from becoming stars. Uh, you know, it doesn't happen in AA. People talk about a Joe and Charlie workshop or they talk about, you know, workshops given by other people or so-and-so will be our speaker next week. Uh, he, you know, uh, they've been in, the, in, in AA for 50 years and they'll tell, talk about history. I mean, it, it goes in AA, it happens all the time. But OA has a group conscience as, and, and the 12 concepts set it out that the group conscience of OA is through the World Service Business Conference. And so we have a group conscience. Again, violation of tradition, it, it's not specifically a tradition. Um, uh, and the World Service Business Conference has no authority. Other, uh, you know, group autonomy is there. The, a group could mention the name of the speaker. Um, it wouldn't affect, I don't see how it would affect OA as a whole. Uh, it might or might not be a, a good thing, um, but it certainly is the violation of tradition. Second is uh, mentioning food wasn't it yes yes and of course that's nowhere in the traditions um and uh i've i've spoken on that quite a lot i won't say much more about it there's no tradition that says you can't mention food although individual autonomy within groups allows an individual group to say we don't mention foods in our meetings my opinion about that i can give them my opinion and that is that it it detracts from their ability to carry the message to those who still suffer because it puts the fear of being tempted over the message of recovery to the 12 steps to those who still suffer it's easier it is far more powerful for me to say i can have ice cream i can watch other people eat a new flavor of ice cream or eat buttered popcorn in front of me and not want to do it than to say I can uh, watch people uh, eat a creamy, sugary substance uh, or one that is crunchy and has salt and butter on it. Uh, no, salt and some fat on it. Uh, it seems to me that that's, it sounds ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Uh, but every OA group has the right to do that. And the tradition of autonomy is there. So if I would speak at a meeting uh, where they had that, that uh, decision, I would abide by it as much as I would disagree with it. Uh, and the third, oh, gee, was... Attraction versus promotion. Attraction or promotion. I, well, absolutely. I mean, attraction or promotion is all at the public level and not at the level of uh, individuals talking about their recovery. I've got to promote. I, when I travel, as I did in the old days, I would pick conversations with people who seemed potential candidates for OA or, or who might know someone who might be interested in OA and talk about my own experience within it. I, I don't miss an opportunity to talk about my own experience because I, I need to promote myself, not myself, but my recovery in order to carry the message. So, of course, those are great questions. Thanks. And I bet Harlan knew what the answers. <laughs> I knew my answers. <laughs> Thanks, Harlan. Nadia B., your turn. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for your service. I so enjoy your presentations, Lori, always. Um, my question is pertaining to um, sponsorship. And, you know, you said we sometimes were so busy sitting in the meetings and um, 
you know, that we overlook the the need for sponsorship um, uh, for we're too busy to sponsor. Could you speak to what um, role is a sponsor play in your recovery? And uh, do you have one? How often um, do you meet? Do you have how do you develop a relationship? And do you keep a, a, a relationship with a sponsor at this point in your recovery? Or do you have a spiritual director? Uh, or whatever you call that. Um, and uh, also, um, if you could um, shine a line, light to me, uh, there I heard two terms for sponsors, a sponsor and a guide. Is there a difference? Um, and uh, what do you think about it? <laughs> Thank wow. You. Okay. Well, let, let me take the, the, la- the latter question first, because in, in a way we have sort of uh, some, some uses of the word sponsorship uh, which are uh, different from uh, what other fellowships use the word sponsorship for. And the history of the use of the word uh, sponsor in AA is, is, is interesting. I, I won't go into it. But uh, we have many different kinds of sponsors in OA. Um, there are uh, 12-step sponsors. There are food sponsors. I don't know what other kind of sponsors there are, but there are many of them. And they're listed in a pamphlet on sponsorship that is OA-approved literature. Um, from my point of view, the work I do as a sponsor is to help people work the steps. And uh, the way I personally sponsor uh, is that I, I'm there to help them get their own plan of eating that's appropriate for them. I'm there to, to uh, help them understand if they really are members of OA, if they have the problem and, the, and they want the solution uh, that OA offers, if they have the problem that we all suffer from and if they have the, want the solution that OA offers. I'm there to help them with the God thing if they have a problem with the God thing. I'm there to help them. Uh, I'm there to be with them if they want to take step three with me. And I'm there to help them understand how to do step four. I'm there if they want to do step five with me, or I'm there to help them understand how to do step five um, if they don't want to do it with me. I'm there to tell them to go quickly through step six and seven right after step five and to get on into eight and nine. And I'm there if they want to discuss uh, in eight and nine what, what, whether they've done any harm, what an appropriate amends for that harm might be, and whether they should be making those amends. And, I'm not, and, and in all of this, I'm a guide uh, in the sense that I am not a person who tells them what to do. I'm a person who gives them whatever experience I have and asks them to listen carefully and to come to their own conclusions about what they want to do. Their recovery is not up to me. At the end of step nine, I then talk to them. I think my role is to talk to them about how to keep their recovery, steps 10, 11, and 12. And then I say to them, and I discuss that at at some length, then I say to them, your time is now to be spent with those who still suffer, not with those who haven't who don't still suffer. If you and I see each other and we talk, terrific. But your job is not to talk to me, but to talk to those who still suffer. And you're wasting my time and I'm wasting your time if we talk to each other, both having achieved recovery. I'm available to you if you want to do the step five part of uh, step 10 with me, or if you want to discuss the amends part, steps eight and nine part of step 10 with me. I'm also available to you to help you carry the message I have a lot of experience in carrying the message. And if you have trouble with particular sponsees or anything like that, I'm available to you. 
but I do not want, I don't seek, and I do not want constant contact with you because you've recovered, and it's up to you to carry your message to someone else, not to carry it to me because I've heard it already. So I'm not there as a sponsor. I'm not there for daily phone calls, and I'm not there as a sponsor for phone calls or discussions after recovery other than is related to the 12 steps. So um, uh, I'm there if, at any time if they want to work the 12 steps, and, and, and I'm there to help them work the 12 steps. Um, I don't, I, when I recovered, I didn't have a sponsor. I had a guy who came into the fellowship. I had been in the fellowship for seven years. I had a guy who came to the fellowship with 15 years of AA sobriety, but with a compulsive eating problem. And he and I joined forces together to work through the big book to figure out the instructions as they related to OA. The instructions in the book, uh, big book as they related to OA. And we helped each other. I don't think either one of us would have said that we were sponsors because the big book says we cannot, um, uh, uh, what is this? We, we cannot give what we do not have, uh, you know, on page 164 of um, and, and therefore we weren't, we weren't, neither of us was recovered, but we, we achieved recovery within themselves. Um, so it, you asked me if I have a sponsor, I have people I will turn to for the step five and steps eight and nine, part of my step 10. I have people who, um, uh, with whom I discuss how OA is doing and how we are doing within OA but whether they would call me their sponsor or I would call them a sponsor, I, I don't know. My guidance comes from steps 10, steps 10, 11, and 12. You know, the big book says, now that I've recovered, my will comes back because it's to do the will of my higher power, to live according to what I most deeply believe in. And I get that inspiration through keeping the channels uh, between my, my deepest values and my thinking and acting clear, which is step 10, 11, and 12. Um, so, you know, I have a, you know, I, and I also believe the big book says we should not allow people to become dependent upon us. Bring the idea into the consciousness of every man, wife or no wife, job or no uh, job. He will not recover so long as he places his dependence upon a person rather than his dependence upon God. So I, I'm radical, I think, in that respect. I'm an outlier in that respect, but that's my answer to those questions. Thanks. Thank you, Nadia. Barbara E., your turn. Good morning, Lori, and thank you okay. so much for your presentation. Can you hear me? Yes, yes I Barbara. can, Barbara. Oh, good, good. I think those are the one of the most two most important phrases that we use. One, can you hear me? And this is my favorite paragraph in the book. And, um, I, I, my uh, question is really quite simple. It, it, it refers to step uh, tradition three. Our member a membership ought to include all who suffer from compulsive eating or alcoholism. Hence, we may refuse none who wish to recover. And yet, I get so many calls from uh, sponsees, not mine who say their sponsor said to them, if you include sugar or flour, um, I won't be your sponsor. Well, I know that the sponsor has the responsibility of deciding, but for me, 
I always say to the person, you're the architect of your food plan. Once you've identified your red light foods, and you mentioned lettuce, maybe lettuce is your red light food. So my question is, uh, why is it always that they say no flour or sugar? Why can't it be no broccoli, no fruit? What's the, the vision of OA uh, that, it, that they are telling us, they're giving us mandates to eliminate flour and sugar if that is not their particular uh, toxic food? That's my question. It's really quite simple, Lori. Yeah, uh, you know my answer too, Barbara, don't you? Uh, I, I, uh, I, I mean, the group conscience of OA is expressed in its literature uh, is that we do not take a position on what people should be abstaining from, that every person has to figure it out for themselves and that to have someone else adopt, some, uh, have a person uh, adopt holus bolus, someone else's plan of eating may cause a real problem. They may not be eliminating every abstaining from everything they ought to be abstaining from, and not quite as important, they may be abstaining from things they don't have to abstain from. Um, we are not sugarholics anonymous. We're not flourholics anonymous, and we're not sugar and flourholics anonymous. Um, and you know, I, I can eat what other people can't eat, and other people can eat what I can't eat. We are also people who might have only eating behaviors as a problem. You know, there are anorexics within our fellowship and maybe outside of our fellowships because they don't feel as if they're welcome, whose only problem is the behavior of addiction, of restriction. They may be able to eat anything, but they can't eat, but they, but they don't eat anything. Uh, you know, they may not have the problem of having to moderate the amount that they take in as I do. Um, so, you know, they should not be excluded. How sponsors sponsor, I guess, is their own um, responsibility. I think sponsors ought to remember that their job is to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps, that's step 12, to those who still suffer, not to carry the message of their plan of eating to those who still suffer, and not to sponsor people who only have their experience. I mean, we have people who say, I will only sponsor people of my faith. I will only sponsor people with my plan of eating. Um, and, and I think that's, um, that doesn't really accord with what step 12 really says. I've got to help someone who still suffers regardless of where they're coming from or what they're doing, so long as they need to be helped and they're willing to be helped uh, and guided uh, through the steps. Um, you know, I happen to be, it has nothing to do with my being an over a year, uh, being a member of OA, I happen to be vegan or vegan, depending on how you pronounce it. I don't eat animal products. I sponsor someone who, whose plan of eating, based on their analysis of what their problem is, they only eat meat. Uh, I, I don't understand it, but that's their way of, that's their plan of eating. It's not mine. I mean, it's not, it's not mine. It's completely contrary to, to what, I, what I want. But I, I'm happy to sponsor them on the understanding that they will themselves discover whether they're right. You know, some people, um, uh, some people have to go through a process of experimentation to figure out what it is that they have to abstain from. And uh, it's too easy for us to sort of say, well, someone else is doing this, so I'll do that. 
we have to do our own analysis. You know, I, for instance, uh, am not a, I don't like sugar, but I'm not afraid of it. Uh, because I, I, my body knows when it's had more than it, it wants and, and stops. It doesn't want anymore because I don't have a sugar addiction. Um, I, I, you know, in the same way that, you know, I, I don't have an alcohol addiction. I can only drink, and I, heart, I haven't for a long time, but I can only drink a little bit of alcoholic beverages before my body says no more. So I'm not an alcoholic. I don't have an alcoholic addiction. Um, I avoid uh, processed flour. I avoid processed foods, but that doesn't mean that I abstain from them all because it depends whether they fall into what I abstain from. And what I abstain from in general are foods that have high amounts of fat mixed with sugar and mixed with salt. It's the combination of those ingredients that for me is a problem. And our group conscience of OA is clear about that. Now, I don't understand why people uh, impose their plan of eating or say they uh, they can't sponsor unless people follow a particular plan of eating. It seems to me that step 12 says that that's not what we should be doing. We have to help everyone who still suffers. And, and the whole big book, I mean, you look at work chapter working with others, different religions, different uh, approaches, it doesn't matter. We're there just to talk about the 12 steps. They may be helping us more than we may be helping them. So we should be grateful and we should never fire people. They may leave us, but we should never fire them. Thanks. It's my opinion. Thanks, Barbara. Nancy M., star one to unmute. Good morning, Lori. What an honor to hear you live. I've heard so many of your podcasts. And, I mean, everything you're saying, I'm just saying amen, amen, amen. Um, You know, you said all we can do when we're recovered is carry our message of recovery through the 12 steps. And I guess I want to ask you as someone who spent over a week trying to find a sponsor who would just take me through the steps and not require me of their rules of writing down my food and sending it to them. (laughs) um, You know, I want to ask you why you think um, that, kind of control happens in OA and and other food programs, actually. I mean, how I see it very simply is they are still the actors who want to be the director and who want everybody to follow their way. Um, It's so simple. Bill W. set it out so simple. And the solution is so... I just want to ask you why you feel there are so many people who just don't follow what Bill W. said just go through the steps with everyone, get them to, to their recovered. And I want to say that I've called people who have done these special editions, um, who are recovered and yet who have all these rules and regulations about sponsoring. So I just want to ask your opinion on why this happens. Thank you so much. Well, first of all, I'm giving you my opinion, but that doesn't mean that I'm right. Um, some people will say people have specific uh, uh, methods of working the steps. Some people will say that it is the submission to a structure, which they did when they were working the steps, which they're asking their sponsee to be involved in. It's, it's the submission to a structure that provides the essence of step one, that, that these people are following a, a, an approach rather than what they want. And when, uh, you know, when people come in to the fellowship and say, I want a sponsor who does X, Y, 
and uh, pardon me for being Canadian said, um, I want a, a sponsor who does this, this, and this. They're still trying to be in control, and that part of of giving up control, you know, which is what the steps are all about, is submitting to some external structure. And although that's not the way I sponsor, I have friends who do sponsor in that way and who follow a particular structured way of doing things uh, that works for them and for their personality. And I guess people cluster around different kinds of methods of sponsoring, and some of them work for some people, and some of them don't work for others. I mean, there's a difference to me, and I do my best to make that distinction, between someone says, I want this and this and this and this from you, and someone who says, I'll do whatever you want. You know, if someone says, I'll do whatever you want, my initial reaction is to say, I don't want you to do anything. If someone says, I want this, this, and this from you, uh, my initial reaction is to say, well, I can't give that to you. Uh, you know, I have some principles or some conditions, uh, some issues uh, relating to what you've suggested or some concerns. Um, I'm a very uh, la- uh, well, lazy, you could call it, easy, easy-go-lucky kind of sponsor. I sponsor a lot of people, but I don't remember them because I don't know where they are in their, in their program because I don't have day-to-day contact with them. Um, and, um, but that's the way I do it. Other people devote their time very carefully to particular sponsees and take only a certain number at a time and work, work their asses off, if you'll pardon the expression, on, on that. So, yeah, there is an element of control or there's a potential element of control among those who say, I have a structured way and this is what you must do. I would turn it around and say, everyone should consider, am I doing my best to carry a message of recovery through the 12 steps to those who still suffer. And if they have a particular way of doing things that causes people to relapse, or, or if they find that there's a lot of relapse in, how they, in the people they sponsor, or if they find that people leave them a lot, maybe they should consider, as I consider all the time, am I doing it as best as I can given who I am? So. There are control freaks. There are control freaks in every single fellowship. I have no doubt. I have friends in AA who tell me about how their sponsor says you should be doing this and this. And at the same time, there are the the same actions might come from a person who's not a control freak at all, but is simply saying structure is what worked for me, and here's the structure that worked for me. And if you want my experience, strength, and hope, follow the structure that I followed. And while I might disagree with that. I might say maybe you could be more flexible. Uh, It's not up to me to tell someone, remember, I'm sponsoring because I need to save myself. How people react to how I sponsor is their problem. Uh, And and if they don't like the way I sponsor, and as many people don't, they want more contact than I'm able to give them, um, then um, they leave. Uh, so I don't know how much difference there is between someone like me who says, don't call me uh, uh, be- between our meetings with each other, because I'll only tell you, put that on step four. Um, so they, you know, I, someone who, like me who says that and someone who says, call me every day at exactly 6 a.m. in the morning. The difference, uh, we, we each have our methods and they may work for some and not work for others. Um, so I, I, although I could be concerned 
from my perspective about how some people might sponsor, I can't put myself in their shoes um, and, and judge them. I ask everyone, including myself, to, to redo and rethink, am I carrying my message the best way I can in the most effective way? Uh, at the same time, realizing that that matters in a sense less than whether I'm trying. If I'm trying, that's the most important thing because that's step 12. Not that I'm succeeding, but that I'm trying. Um, so, I, you know, for me, it's a matter of questioning. And my, my, uh, my, uh, I, I have certainly have seen people, I think, uh, relapse as a result of a very structured way of doing things where even where when they relapse, they have to go back and they have to redo a whole bunch of things uh, in order to establish that they're on step one, when in fact the relapse itself might be their very wake-up call that they're on step one and they really, really need to start the steps quickly. My own tendency is to sponsor people through the steps as quickly as I can, and that means I often will say to them, don't do as much reading, just follow the directions. But I may be very wrong in that. I don't know. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Our final question this morning comes from Joy S. Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for your message. Hi, and Leah, thank you for your um, service. Um, I loved how you spoke about we are a spiritual whole. And I hear that when you speak, you're coming from we rather than a sense of me or I. And I'm I'm just really curious, when did you notice that your perspective had changed? And are you able to maintain that during the course of your day? And on a personal level, what does that mean to you? And I think it's great. Thank you. Thank you. I I I I battle my ego every single minute of every single day. Um you know, there's a there's that wonderful joke about I used to be conceited but I got over that, now I'm perfect. Um, I, I, uh, it, 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 yeah, you have to maintain this. I, I, I mean, I remember my first year in OA, everything was, this was like 36 years ago almost. I, I was doing extremely well. I was losing weight. I, I didn't understand a lot of things and I made a lot of mistakes afterwards. But for about a year, I was really flying high. And, you know, I, I'm a trained uh, speaker and, uh, uh, teacher and stuff like that. So talking is not hard for me because um, of the training I've had. Um, and I used to, you know, be asked to be a speaker and stuff like that. And I remember one day I was asked by a meeting I'd never gone to, to speak uh, as long as I wanted. I'd never done that before. Usually there were some restrictions. And I talked for 45 minutes to an hour and I got feedback. Everyone loved what I said. It was terrific. But I knew that moment, I knew that I was entertaining rather than speaking from my heart, that I was stringing together things I had said in the past when I meant them, stringing them together in a really well-fashioned speech, but that it wasn't coming from my heart at that moment. And I began to relapse at that moment. Um, I, and and I, went into, I went to seven years of relapse, and that was the first relapse I had was when I realized that I was not being whole. I was, I was performing. And so that was a lesson I learned in my first year that I have done my best. I, I had other lessons about what my relapses were 
about. A lot of them had to do with uh, with identifying uh, what I should be abstaining from. But that was the, when I first realized it. So I, I got to keep myself um, humble. I, 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 and, and, and that's full-time work for me. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but it, 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 is, it is really concentrating on the 12 steps and really remembering that every time I carry the message, I am, I am humbled by a whole bunch of things. One is that I need to do this. It, it, I need to do it whether or not it works for others. I need to do it. And the other is all the suffering and all the hope um, and all the recovery that are in the rooms of OA and how small I am in the face of all of those. Uh, I'm just one of those people in that huge, huge mix of sufferers and recovered and hopeful. And uh, we just do our part. Thanks. Thank you, Joy, for your question. Thank you to all who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Lori, for your talk this morning. It's always so helpful to hear you and always a delight to spend some time together with you. Thank you very much for your service. Thank you. you. Presentation this morning, share ID 17,933. That's 17933. We're going to close now from page 164. Of course, you'll notice it's from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.